Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On this week's show, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and myself will break down the forwards and centers returning on Florida's roster. Uh, we know a huge number of those players, right? Uh, no, we all know there aren't many of them. We'll talk about the season that they had and what they need to do in the offseason to make next year as productive as possible, both for the Gators and themselves. We will also answer a handful of listener questions uh, with a uh, much-anticipated Kerry Blackshear Jr. update and some discussion about whether or not uh, elite linebacker recruit Dewan Black, who's also a really good basketball player for those of you who don't know, uh, might potentially be somebody that can help the Gators uh, next year. So we'll get into all of it. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We are going to talk about Florida's forwards and centers. Lengthy, lengthy list of players here, Eric. And um, obviously, uh, we'll we'll get into some listener questions after, if we have enough time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I hope we don't have to split this into a multi-parter with all the uh, all the returning bodies in the uh, at the uh, the forward and, and center spots. So. Um, but yeah, it's still some interesting pieces. So it's, uh, it's going to be good to talk about. So I guess we should start with a guy who played 0% of Florida's minutes last year. Uh, Gorjak Gek. Yeah, that's a good natural, uh, natural place to start. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that um, one of the things that, that I was thinking about, I, I wrote an article at Gator Country the other day and, and it was just about who's like, or just kind of how, how Florida is going to replace the minutes and the production of Kavarius Hayes. Um, and it was kind of obviously, uh, you know, I know we're all kind of, um, sitting on a, a potential grad transfer decision, but I was kind of just looking at it with like, let's just say um, we're, we're looking at the roster that, that we, we kind of know we have for sure um, who would be the natural person to kind of step in. And uh, yeah. And I, uh, I, you know, obviously I had to go back to the previous season um, to go look at Gorja Gax kind of numbers. Um, but it was kind of interesting to see that um, I actually thought that he might be uh, um, maybe the best returning center if he is fully healthy, which I, which I'm, you know, a lot of people are, are, you know, I'm hearing from from some people that they think that he's he's just never going to be healthy. But I mean, some of the some of the more reliable people I, I hear from are, are telling me that he's going to be totally good to go. So, um, you know, I'm not sure what assumption we go on, but but it's kind of interesting because there was a listener question um, what a couple weeks ago that was about um, you know who we thought would start at center next year, and I said Bassett, and uh, and Neil, you said uh, you said Gak. And after kind of looking at the numbers, I, I think I'm leaning a little bit towards uh, towards Gak actually uh, switching over to your side there. So um, yeah, I do think he's a he's a interesting player. And and though I don't actually think his ceiling is um, super high, which I think some people some people do, um, I, I actually do think he could be uh, um, once again if he's healthy, I think he could be a really good contributor. So let's start. Let's back up for two seconds and say that that at the five. Florida's trying to replace Kavarius Hayes. So that's a ton of production. Um, and and if you don't think Kavarius Hayes is a good offensive player, then just fast forward through this segment because it's going to be painful for you. Um, ninth in the country in effective field goal percentage. Thirteenth in the country in total shot percentage. Uh, 152nd in the country in offensive rating. By far Florida's most efficient offensive player last year. Um 
So, and, and that's with the all SEC defense. I mean, we've said it multiple times. This is clearly a guy who was an all SEC player somehow got left off the all SEC team, got left off the all SEC defensive team, which is ridiculous for a player that finished third in America and defensive zone rating. Um, so it's a ton of production that Florida's got to replace. Okay, so right. let's, let's get that out of the way at the beginning. Yeah, and I mean, just something, too, even from an offensive standpoint, um, just I feel like something people will forget, um, he shot 59.5% on post-ups last year, which is a very <laughs> good percentage. I know he's not taking um, a, a ton of those shots, uh, but I mean, like, if, if, if some people never watched Florida basketball and heard the way that some people talked about Hayes, they might think he's the worst offensive player in the country. And uh, there's a lot that uh, there's a lot he did really well. So uh, yeah, you're, we're talking about, as Neil said, you got, you've got to replace actually um, some buckets on the inside as well as obviously all, all sec defense. And just another thing I just kind of uh, uh, saw as I was doing my article. Um, so obviously I know, and I mean, I know this is a little bit of apples and oranges comparing guys at different positions. Um, but uh like Kavarius Hayes had one more made field goal than, than Jalen Hudson last year, which I think might surprise people just in total field goals. Kavarius Hayes made more field goals than Jalen Hudson and Jalen Hudson took 141 more shots. So I know that's, it's comparing, um, <laughs> it is comparing two guys at very different positions, but if you look at just like the pure points put on the board, um, Kavarius Hayes was still, you know, still had more of them than, um, uh, well, at least more field goals than, um, than Hudson. So yeah, there's uh there's something to be said about, um, about the fact that Florida does need, uh, does need to replace some offense down there too, which is a, uh, I know some people are going to chuck a lot. Well, there's 1,284 players that Kim Palm list in the effective field goal percentage statistic. Um, and Kavari says was ninth <laughs> in America. <laughs> so um, I don't know. You guys know, like that number can just kind of speak for itself. Uh, he was 31st in two-point percentage. Um, and we're going to get into Isaiah Stokes. And the idea of this podcast is not – like I'm not going to title it Drag Isaiah Stokes. So, like, we're not going to get into that. But, you know, a common refrain during the season was Florida needs to play Isaiah Stokes more because he's a better offensive player. And at least according to effective field goal percentage, there were only eight better offensive players. Right. <laughs> in, in Division One. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, just um, yeah, we don't need to just keep keep defending Hayes as we have done lots on the podcast. But I mean, obviously, he had some, uh, you know, he fumbled some balls out of bounds on those. Right, he had some weaknesses, no doubt. But um, but I mean, like it wasn't like he was, you know, what's again like looking at Ken Palm? What's his, you know, his, his turnover rate? Twenty one percent, which is um, you know, for a little bit of a reference, lower than Andrew Nemhart's and Isaiah Stokes actually. Um, but. Um, but, you know, it's not like Kavarius Hayes is, is turning the ball over so much that it, uh, when he tries to post up that it, you know, takes away from the fact that he's shooting 59% on post-ups. Like, you know, even if you, if you count his turnovers as a missed shot, for example, on those possessions, I bet he's still, you know, in the 46 47% range, even if he's turning the ball over that much. So uh, still was an effective uh, post-up player when he, uh, when he had those matchups to go against. So what do you think? Because you've kind of gone into my – zone on GAC, which my, my GAC starts projection was largely based on defense and just this idea that that's Florida's culture. And, I, you know, I appreciate the work Isaiah Stokes has done. I'm going to talk about that on the show. I prepared some notes about it. Um, but I think that 
Gorjak Gak has shown, even in the NCAA tournament, that that he's a guy who can impact the game on the defensive end. Right, and and I think that just kind of the thing about uh, just that you mentioned about Florida being kind of defense first is just that like once again, it's not like Dante Bassett or Isaiah Stokes brings so much more offense that you're really. I'm kind of trading the like, oh, well, like Gorjak Gak is, is going to be the better defensive option. Um, but the other guy is a really efficient offensive player. Um, they Neither Stokes or Bassett has kind of emerged as one of those really good offensive players. So I, I, I just don't see that, um, yeah, that decision being as tough. And I, I think the one number that, um, that just kind of, uh, that really kind of uh, made me think that like, oh man, I, I do think Gak might be the best, um, uh, might be the best option is just kind of his field goal percentage allowed at the rim. Um, kind of those rim protection numbers. Um, Gak uh, allowed just a really good percentage at the rim. He was um, looking at it. Yeah, he's, he allowed 37.5% at the rim in 2017-2018. Um, so, like, Hayes allowed 387 at the rim. So, um, Gak's percentage is a little bit better. And I know some of that is due to, um, you know, Gak was coming off the bench, um, playing a little bit weaker competition. And also the fact that, um, um, uh, like, Hayes just got to so many shots that – um, I think that his number is, is probably like artificially inflated because I was, I was looking at some of the shots he was credited with contesting, um, but the opponent made that. And it was like him rotating over so well with his foot speed and getting kind of in the vicinity to challenge a shot. That would have just been an open layup for if it was any other big chasing. So, um, so even though, you know, Gak's percentage is it, being a little bit better than Hayes, I'm not suggesting he's going to be a better rim protector than Hayes. Um, but I do think he's going to be really good. Whereas Dante Bassett does not have um, very good rim protection numbers and, uh, and, and Stokes doesn't either. So I, I think that when you just say like, what does Florida need most from their center? Uh, I, I do think rim protection might be at a premium um, as well as rebounding. And I, and I do think that the best, uh, the best rebounder by the kind of numbers is, is going to be, is going to be Gak, even though once again, uh, Gak's rebound rebounding numbers are not as good as you would expect from someone who who has that size and length, um, but he still has better rebounding numbers than than Bassett and, and Stokes. And I think if 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 Gak is clearly the one who who does rebound the best and and protects the rim the best, um, I think he might be the best option. So I think I think a lot of that is is right. Um, for for those that want Gak first high level competition, I mean watch. Watch Florida's NCAA tournament game against Virginia, um, where due to some foul trouble, Gak had to play 13 minutes, which is, you know, not insignificant off the bench in the NCAA tournament. And, um, you know, he didn't have any defensive rebounds in that game, but he did have a block, and he was banging against Mamadi Diakite and Jack Salt back when they really, like, that Tony Bennett team liked to play both those guys together. Um and then, you know, uh, I think that, that that's kind of an interesting game just because it shows you that, like, Florida could get away with the fact that Kavarius Hayes only played 23 minutes. Um, because not just because Justin Leon was exceptional in that game, not just because Devin Robinson was great on the glass, but also because, you know, Virginia, even though they were behind – they're still going to go to the basket offensively, and there just wasn't a lot. Of them. Yeah, I, I do. That was a great example of kind of him Gak playing some of his best basketball, and um, you know, watch again, watching some of the film from um, from two seasons ago, and he did play like there. There's definitely a lot of things that, that Gak needs to work on, and and um, right. I, I I especially, you know, there there is some things that just just in the flow of the game where 
Um, I, I think he looked young out there, even as a, you know, kind of in his second year. But, but I do think obviously with the, you know, with the redshirt year being older, um, there's a, you know, I, I don't even know if he was fully healthy in that Virginia game. You know, there's a lot of people talking about the fact that he probably wasn't even fully healthy that season at all. And yeah, I just think that um, yeah, seeing a new seeing a new Gak is definitely, uh, and I don't know a little bit of it is the the mystery box of hey, this guy we know haven't seen this guy in a while. Maybe he'll um, be better than the guys we have seen in, in Bassett and, and Stokes. But um, yeah, I, there's definitely enough to to be intriguing there. And uh, yeah, the Virginia game was a good example of uh, some kind of glimpses of, of what we might we might be able to see from Gak in the future. Now, I mean, there's there's the you know contrary to that, there's the fact that in the Sweet 16, he played eight minutes and he had four offensive rebounds in eight minutes. I think a couple of them were like one putback miss, one putback miss. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, uh, his minutes were more limited in that game, an overtime game, because when he did get in, you know, Nigel Hayes just abused him. And there's video of that too, which kind of speaks to, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there. Uh, but I think, Maybe if he's healthy, um, you know, assuming Florida, we don't know what Florida's going to add yet. So I think that's probably the best way to evaluate him. Yeah. And this, the one thing I will say for people who uh, just are going to be seeing Gak for the first time in a while, whenever he steps on the floor for Florida next year, um, just one thing I think that needs to be remembered about Gak is like, he, uh, he's not really a good athlete. Like, I, and I mean, I just say that because like, there's still like a lot of discussion about, about how high his ceiling is and the fact that, and just because a lot of people think that he's a really good athlete. And I think that when you see guys that are, you know, six eleven with a long wingspan, you do kind of associate that with good athlete. And, um, and, and Gak is, is just not a, not a very good athlete, at least from what I've seen. And I do, I do say that with the, you know, what's in the context of like, he was injured a lot of his time in the first two years of Florida. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's not, a, he's not a great jumper. He's not super fluid. Um, that's how Nigel Hayes just uh, destroyed him in that game, as Neil alluded to, is just that, like, Nigel Hayes, who, who is a smaller player, so he's, he's, you know, center of gravity is lower to the ground, but he was just keep, like, the he just made Gak look foolish because Gak just didn't have the balance and body control um, for when, when Hayes would put it against his body and spin off him. Um, like Gak just looked really, really awkward out there. Just like truly awkward is the word I would use. And um, so there's, there's things like that, that um, he definitely does need to just kind of like smooth out a little bit. And, and I just think that people need to um, just kind of keep that in mind that, that Gak, I mean, and I'm not saying that Gak can't be a great player when I say he's not a good athlete. I just mean, um, I wouldn't ever expect him to be the guy that's um, jumping out of the gym. Like, like he's not Diakite, even though he, you know, is physically kind of similar in his length. He's right. going to be someone who, is going to be a little bit more of a be able to, you know, be positionally sound, stay on his feet, but with his arms up and, and protect her in that way because he is so long. And um, yeah, I just don't think he's ever going to be like in a super, super elite defender, but he can be, um, he can be a really, really good defender because if he's positionally sound, he is long enough to put his arms up and, and make some things uh, kind of difficult. But, but yeah, just um, seeing him against Nigel Hayes and I obviously you know Nigel Hayes was a very, very good player. Um, but just to see uh, just to see how kind of off balance and, and uncoordinated he looked at times, just against someone who knew how to um, use his size against uh, against Gak, I thought was uh, was pretty interesting. Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, you know you're thinking more of a kind of a Florida State ish, just size big, as opposed to you know a super athlete. And FSU has those too, but 
um, <laughs> it, right. it's more, this is more Kamaji than, than your other guys. Yeah. I would say, is that something you see as well? Would you say, or, or what is your kind of observation of like, what do you, what do you think Gak's, um, I guess ceiling would be, or like, what would be, what is your like likely outcome for Gak or um, yeah, just kind of what is your thought on him? Well, I think that, you know, I think he can use his size and positional understanding and awareness. Like I think he's a smart player when we've seen him. And I think Al Pinkins has shown that with the jump that Kavarius Hayes took or the leap that, you know, the, the improvement, I won't say leap that Isaiah Stokes started to make. Um, you know, I think Florida has a good coach to kind of cultivate his strengths. I just, I'm with Eric. Like, I don't think we're not talking about a plus athlete and, and we're certainly not after micro fracture surgeries and multiple injuries. That's just not what he's going to be, but he is, you know, he, he does have long arms. So I think he can alter shots and I think they can turn him into a competent offensive player, whether it's off the bench or, or not. Um, because, you know, I don't think effort or motor is an issue as judged by his, you know, while the sample size is small, he has good offensive rebounding numbers. Yeah. And his like, will give him an opportunity to do that as well. Um, but yeah, just, uh, just, uh, it's just kind of interesting to just kind of to project uh, what he'll be like just relative to, uh, I think a lot of people just again, see six foot 11 long wingspan and, and expect a guy to just be a side, like a guy who can, uh, you know, really be an elite shot blocker. And I think he'd be a good shot blocker, but yeah, he doesn't have the, uh, the athleticism of some of the, um, and I mean, there's a, there's a reason he was a, you know, a three-star recruit and not a five-star recruit because if he had elite athleticism at that size, he's, um, you know, they usually pretty quickly just labeled those guys five stars. So um, yeah, there's <laughs> kind of a reason that he was, that he was a three-star and, and it's nothing wrong with that. And uh, yeah, with, uh, with the full kind of redshirt year. Um, yeah. I'm interested to see what he becomes. So we'll transition to a high three-star player. Um, I was Stokes who, you know, a lot of people clamored for him. I think, again, I think it's important to frame because we're going to get to Eric's uh, kind of assessment of him and, and, you know, maybe specifically Eric can get into what he needs to work on this summer. Um, but I think these are important numbers because we keep hearing at this offensive skill set. And I think Eric and I have brought it up. But one thing that's interesting to me is that outside of Jalen Hudson, um, no one on Florida took more shots in terms of shot percentage when they were in the game. Like Stokes finished the year around 24% of the possessions he was on the floor. He took a shot. Um, and even doing that, his effective field goal percentage was just 46%, which isn't good. Um, his turnover rate was 25.5%, which isn't good. Uh, his assist rate was nice. His good passer when he doesn't turn the ball over. Um, which I think is important, and maybe Eric will get into that some. He doesn't get fouled, which is discouraging. Um, and we didn't see the three-pointer that we saw in, like, the mixtape videos yet, uh, which would be something nice to see. So if you put aside the dunk against the dunk at Rupp or the fact that, you know, he made some big baskets, at, what, at Alabama and occasionally in a home game, uh, you really got kind of an inefficient player who is a huge liability on defense. Yeah, that's that's kind of the issue right now is um, because of just just because of how poorly he played on defense last year. Uh, there was just he would have had to have been so good offensively to to kind of warrant 
getting on the floor and he he wasn't and and yeah that's kind of what he has to work on but I mean that's obviously a you know redshirt freshman he's he's got places to grow but uh, I I just think you know watching watching some of the film on him just to see the looking back on him he didn't have a lot of minutes played actually just kind of overall through the year so it's actually quite easy to to kind of look through a lot of it and, um, again we I don't want this is this doesn't this wasn't meant to be drag Isaiah Stokes, but but I mean, like there were some issues I saw kind of live and ones we talked about, um, kind of going through with a fine tooth comb. Um, it was maybe even more problematic than I even thought live. Uh, he just really struggled to move around the court and um, just really struggled in, in pick and roll coverage. And uh, the thing about being a modern basketball player, you, I, it doesn't even matter like whether you're a guard or you're big, if you can't guard and pick and roll, um, that's just a problem because that's the one thing you're almost guaranteed to see every single game. Um, and if you just really struggle to, to guard it, then you're going to have a tough time. So uh, there's just so much about his game that does relate to, to needing to be quicker, even in, even kind of in his offensive game. Um, just the fact that I thought he's, he did get into some turnover problems a lot because he was just so slow um, to make a move. I think he needs to needed to get a little bit better on his post-ups of, you know, getting the ball, feeling a body, making a move, um, not, you know, dribble, 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 feel the body, dribble, um, then start your move. That was just enough time for him to usually get trapped. So I, I think that there's there's just so much that relates to his, um, um, yeah, just to just kind of his lack of, of foot speed. Um, I obviously, I you know, I'm still a believer that he'll shoot the ball well sometimes. So I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing that. But as you mentioned, we haven't seen it yet. He didn't hit a three. Um one thing I also thought was um, just not uh, not very good was uh, one of the things you kind of need from a big man in the modern game is just, uh, you know, a center that you can dump the ball into off a drive who can finish. Um, on cut, that's, you know, uh, on synergy, that would log that as a cut. So most big men are around like 64-ish percent on those possessions because, you know, it's usually a drop-off pass near the rim for a, a layup or a dunk. Um, he was 25% on those shots. So he is one of the worst players in the country scoring off cuts. Um, and that's just another thing that was, uh, that a, a lot of times kind of related to just the lack of elevation he would get on, on a layup attempt. And, um, yeah, there's just a, there's, there's obviously a lot of potential there, but there's just a lot of things he needs to iron out. And the problem for him is just that he's got things to be ironed out on both sides of the floor. It's not right. even, it's not. And, and that's, I mean, just like, you know, we were saying, obviously like a lot of his problems were on the defensive end. Um, but if he gets to an average even if you get where to get to an average defensive level, um, it's not like he's doing so much on offense that he becomes a, a good player. I, I really think he needs to um, kind of iron things out on both sides. I mean, he gets into he he'll do nice. The other thing is because he's a defensive, it's such a defensive problem. It's hard for him to get in rhythm of games, which is important for post players. Um, I think in particular, heavy heavy post players to get heavy touches. You know, you can really establish a rhythm, but if you if you can't help yourself defensively, then that opportunity never comes. The in, in fact, the like four minute cameo he had against Nevada was kind of a great example of that, wasn't it, Eric? Because he makes a nice post move and gets a bucket, but then basically has back to back disastrous possessions on defense. Yeah, and that's um, something you mentioned too, just about the amount of shots he takes. Um, and I, you know, I don't even necessarily really have a problem with it because it was one of those things where it's like if he's on the floor you probably do need to try to use him offensively 
They're probably coached um, so, to do that. Oh, totally. And and I mean, if you that's what I would do if I was coaching the team too, because there is some matchups that you probably you know did like the Isaiah Stokes um, matchup offensively against. Um, so yeah, you do have a you know, you do have this thing where um, that is tough on Stokes, where it was like he wouldn't play long stretches. He would come into games and he would get used immediately, and that that is kind of tough. But um, that was just kind of the the predicament he was in, where he couldn't earn himself longer stretches and minutes, and. Um, would have to come in cold and, and try to make a try to make a post move when his timing isn't quite there yet or or anything like that. So, um, yeah, with if he can kind of whether he can get into uh, some longer stretches could uh, uh, because of his defense that could actually yeah that could have a lot of bearing on um, on his offensive game as well. So, um, you know, I think I think with him, quickness has to be kind of the order of the day in the summer. Like he's doing a good job with the weight loss and. I think really deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, And, you know, I was, there was a lot of exodus with the program, obviously (laughs) a lot of roster turnover. I thought it was encouraging that, that Isaiah stayed just because I think, and I'm interested in Eric's opinion on this. I think he's a guy who probably would have been intriguing to a lot of places as a transfer. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that you don't see too many players like like Isaiah Stokes um, would be pretty pretty enticing because yeah, you can't, can't find those players a lot. And I do think there's some players or some coaches in lower leagues um, that would think like, hey, there'd be some like serious mismatch mismatch problems if uh, if I had Stokes on the roster. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure if he transferred, he would have some some uh, some pretty interesting offers. In terms of the uh, next guy. Um, is going to be the last guy left from the middle two recruiting classes, last man standing. Um, other than if <laughs> we talked about Stokes and and the other last man standing, I guess is uh, is Dante Bassett. Yeah, that would not be my guess. Um, a couple of years ago, if you said only you know only two <laughs> of these players would be remaining, I, I don't think it would be my my uh, um, guess. But um, yeah, he's definitely the most interesting in terms of the like who is probably going to get the most minutes out of the centers we've talked about, just because. Um, he's the center returning that played the most minutes. So uh, something that I, I, I did think that was pretty good about um, with Bassett was just the fact that he, um, he seemed to grasp the, uh, w- when they went to more of the Princeton offense, I thought he grasped the, uh, he grasped it pretty well. And I thought he played pretty well within that. Um, so that was, uh, that was good. Um, you know, I actually made a comment earlier too, about the fact that um, his rim protection numbers aren't, aren't super good. And I, I should have actually added in the fact that um, his ability to take charges is really good. And that kind of helps him in the rim protection department because uh, him drawing an offensive foul, isn't going to help the, uh, um, the percentages I was looking at about the, uh, what he allows at the rim um, where, yeah, drawing charges is another way of protecting the rim. So he actually did that, um, did that really well. So, um, and just the one thing I really like about Bassett is he really has gotten better every year. And that's just, I think that's admirable. And it makes me think like, Hey, he's gotten better every summer so far. So, um, you know, why wouldn't he come uh, looking better this next season? And, and if so, um, could definitely command more minutes. So uh, that's, that's something kind of that work ethic, whatever he's doing just to get better every, every off season uh, makes him kind of a, an interesting player moving forward. So I think this, some, some inside, uh, some inside heat uh, occasionally on the show as, as promised one thing in Dante's exit interview this year was a focus on, I've been told was a focus on the way that he finished the season from uh, senior day forward. 
um, and just some real outside of the Auburn game where, you know, if Dante Massey gets caught in a switch with Samir Dowdy or Jared Harper, it's just not good. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, that's some of the limitations of his athleticism that, that Eric referenced. This is just, you know, another guy who was, this is a three-star player with good size who, if he was a really plus athlete uh, with his jump shot, he would have been a higher rated recruit bottom line. Um, but, you know, he played really well at the SEC tournament other than that semifinal game. And he played 22 minutes. Um, well, no, let me scratch, scratch that. He played significant minutes against Nevada and important minutes and impacted winning. Yeah. Once again, I, I thought he just really worked well within, within the offense. Um, he doesn't do anything that's kind of, beyond himself i guess like he he doesn't take a lot of bad shots he doesn't force anything um and that's kind of what you probably want out of your out of your center a lot especially looking at the group next year um you you probably are not looking for um of of any of the centers we really we talked about you know it's if we if they land the marquee if they land the big fish then yeah obviously you want him to be be doing a lot but with any of the guys we've referenced so far um, you probably just want a, a guy who's going to facilitate what uh, what the other guys on the floor are doing, and uh, and Bassett might be the best for that. Just uh, the way he sets screens with the Princeton offense, um, just the way he passed the ball. Um, he actually has really good offensive rebounding numbers, which is something that's uh, yeah. pretty impressive given that um, yeah, given that he's not super long, doesn't jump really well. Um, he just kind of has a nose for it. Um, so little things like that. I, I think he's probably the most. Um, well, how do I say it? You know, he's, he's got a lot of the, like the intangibles, I guess. Like he just does a lot of the little things pretty well on the floor. Um, so that I, he's, uh, that's kind of, and obviously, yeah, there's a reason he played the most, uh, there's most backup minutes at the center position last year. And uh, I guess that would make him um, definitely kind of in the, in the mix to, uh, to be a, a, another player who gets a, a good amount of the front court minutes this year. Yeah. I mean, I think if Florida lands the grad transfer big, um, that's definitively better than Dante. He'd also be useful because he's going to fall into that eighth, ninth man role, which I think he'd really excel in actually, uh, just because his motor is really good. The one thing I'd like to see him do, and I hope that the coaches, you know, green lighted. I have no real read on whether or not they did, other than their message to him in in the exit interview. As I said, was hey, look how you finished the year. Let's build on that in the off season. You know, his jump shot, he has a pretty little jumper. Um, so I'd like to see him kind of fire away in November uh, when Florida plays some of their lesser opponents. Because I think if he could get that in rhythm, it's something people would have to scout. Yeah, especially a player um, like him that isn't a, you know, a great athlete. If he could become a, someone who can stretch the floor a little bit, that would be great. And um, just another thing, too, is uh, Florida does not have a lot of options at power forward this year. And um, though I'm not suggesting that Dante Bassett is a great option, um, he might be one of the only options they really have. I mean, they played at the end of the year, they played, uh, they played Bassett next to Hayes for some minutes, especially um, in all these games that they played with um, uh, <laughs> against LSU late in the year, where the LSU is obviously rolling out two pretty big front court players and the matchup kind of worked. Uh, but yeah, yeah, right now, I mean, it, it's looking like, obviously Keontae Johnson is going to be playing the four to start and he's going to play a lot of minutes, but I mean, they're going to need someone else to play some minutes at the four. And uh, I think it might be Bassett again. So if Bassett can just um, d- develop a little bit of a catch and shoot jumper, that's 
uh, somewhat reliable, uh, that could be really helpful. And that leaves us with our uh, last guy. Um, what is there to say about Keontae Johnson? Well, I would say probably uh, the consensus um, uh, most surprising <laughs> player of last year. I, I, I don't think anyone probably expected this much um, kind of production from him. And uh, uh, that was great. I, obviously, I think he was uh, he's a favorite of the podcast, I would say. Um, or, you know, certainly one of them. And just, um, I, yeah, I just am really interested to see what he brings to his, to his game next, because uh, I just thought he was so effective in what he did. Like his game was um, like his offensive game was fairly limited, um, but he still was just so effective because he could, uh, he could get to his spots, even though, uh, you know, he didn't have much of a mid range game. He was just kind of uh, get, get only really shooting threes or getting to the hoop, which is, which is totally fine um, because you're still getting to the hoop, even though teams, uh, didn't have to respect kind of a, a pull-up game in, in kind of the mid-range when he started to drive. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, people listen to the podcast know that I just, I just love Keontae Johnson's game. I love how he comes to, he drives, comes to two foot jump stops, um, pressures defenses that way, uses pivots, um, can pass the ball, um, was far and away the best rebounder um, on the team. And that's uh, for a team that struggled on the glass is going to be really important because uh, yeah, they, someone needs to rebound. He was kind of the guy. And yeah, I just think, um, obviously you, you know, Scotty Lewis is going to get a lot of attention next year. Um, if Andrew Nemhart comes back, he's going to get a lot of attention and those players obviously deserve it. But, um, you know, there's a universe that exists where I do think that Keontae Johnson could be, uh, could be the most important player next year. Ended up, uh, sixth in, uh, the SEC in defensive rebounding percentage as a true freshman. Um, I made the Admiral Schofield comparison enough to make everybody sick. Uh, but Schofield was 16th his freshman year in that statistic. Um, he was 20th in the SEC in steal percentage as a freshman, 22nd in free throw rate, really capable of getting fouled. And I think that's with a really raw offensive game, right? Like he still hasn't really kind of figured out how to uh, attack the basket, I think, as well as he'll be able to. Um, especially if he can play more of the three than the four, you know, I think his, his splits are kind of lean for a lot of the year, um, particularly when Florida was on offense, uh, you Florida switched enough for him to be kind of a three sometimes defensively, but, um, so I think maybe there's some, some room to, to kind of optimize what his best abilities are in that sense. Um, and then Eric, kind of got into I just love his competitiveness and his fire he's a guy that has an edge about him and I think the staff deserves some credit for that just because he wasn't really that for the first month and a half of the season yeah and uh it's it's kind of interesting looking back just uh, at some of the early losses where he wasn't as much in the rotation quite yet and uh, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if uh, if he was if if he was kind of in the mix a little bit more there um, what it would be like but I mean obviously there was um, I wouldn't have expected them to start rolling out for major minutes, just how things were working to start. But um, yeah, I do think his competitiveness obviously stuck out on a team that had their competitiveness got a challenged a little bit from, uh, from the coaching staff. Uh, so that's obviously great. I think he kind of shows great leadership there and um, yeah, just, uh, just really tough. And I think that that toughness is also something the team has lacked a little bit in, in past seasons. And uh, that's another reason why, yeah, why Keanu Johnson is going to stick out and, uh, yeah, just everything that that points to um, uh, to being someone that's uh, that's going to be a major kind of contributor for the team, and and the versatility he shows 
um, at whatever position they're going to play him at. That's going to be important too. So, uh, yeah, very excited to see what he brings. Um, how do you think the – like how does Scotty Lewis change what Keontae Johnson is or his role is, if that makes sense? Well, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure how much I think it'll change just because I, um, I, I do see just Keontae Johnson playing pretty much the four almost exclusively just because of the way – um, things work. So I don't think it's going to change who he guards particularly. I think Florida is going to keep, uh, I mean, you know, Florida switched a lot. I think they're going to keep doing that if um, with, uh, with Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson, three and the four. Um, I, I think uh, what, it, what really could be interesting is um, something I looked at too with Keontae Johnson is uh, Florida wasn't actually a great team in transition last year. Um, not, and it would not even in the sense that they didn't run in transition very often, but even when they did move in transition, uh, they were good, but they, they weren't great. And uh, Keontae Johnson was one of the better players in transition. And uh, I, I am imagining now with, uh, with Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson at the floor at the same time, how that'll open things up in transition and give a little bit more space. And uh, I, that was just something I kind of thought about. Just uh, having two of those guys uh, on the floor together is just how that'll kind of open up things um, kind of uh, just kind of offensively in transition. And, and also when they do play, just kind of dribble drive. Um, Scotty Lewis does give another option who can attack off the dribble. And just as we've talked about with dribble drive a lot, um, I think you need to be able to, you know, the first guy needs to be able to get a driving advantage um, so that help comes and he kicks it out and, and a guy can attack a closeout. And he, I think that Keontae Johnson for a lot of the season was one of the only guys who could really create, um, you know, create those situations where teams needed to help. And now with Scotty Lewis, I think that, you know, he'll be able to, uh, he'll be able to uh, kind of get get into the lane a little bit, and Keontae Johnson could be the beneficiary of some of those kickout passes. Uh, something else, else with Keontae Johnson is his jump shot actually looked quite good, and he was particularly good in the corners. Um, he shot fifty five point six percent on corner threes from the from the right corner, and and forty five point five percent on threes from the other corner. And I just think, uh, yeah, he'll get a, he'll get a few more of those catch and shoot opportunities when it's uh, Scotty Lewis doing some of the dribble penetration when it uh, doesn't always have to be uh, Keontae Johnson. Yeah, and his three point percentage, the splits. If you split them, um, his percentages were way higher in February and March, which kind of suggested to me that the more he was playing, you know, the better, more consistent he became at knocking those shots down. I don't think that 36% uh, number is a fluke. Like, I think that's sustainable based on his jumper. Yeah, I think he's got a nice jumper. It's a little, like, it's a little clunky, but, I mean, I, I really like he gets his elbow in, he gets his elbow up. It's it's straight. Um, it's not a lot of waste of motion. I, I think he actually has a really, a really good jumper, and he also takes good shots. So, I mean, when you take good shots, you're going to be pretty consistent. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that that was a fluke at all. I, I think he'll be a really good shooter this year. I think he can become an all-SEC defensive player um, pretty quickly. Uh, you know, one complaint I heard Mark Wise, who knows a lot of stuff when he does the radio um, for the Gator Radio Network, is very good and says, you know, Keontae needs to learn how to defend without fouling. And I hate to disagree with Mark on the air because um, he does know a lot of things and usually is right. Maybe Eric agrees with him. Look, I just don't know how realistic that is when you play undersized. Like, I think Admiral Schofield is a tremendous defensive player, was at Tennessee, right? But he was pretty consistently in foul trouble, and I think some of that was just matchup-based. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I thought he picked up so many fouls fighting on the glass, and um, 
I'm looking through my, you know, as I speak, I'm just kind of looking through my various analytica websites to see if I can kind of find anything that points to, uh, <laughs> uh, that points to like where he was committing these fouls. But I, I didn't actually think that like he wasn't picking up at least in my mind, um, maybe someone disagrees and they actually could, cause I'm not super strong on this, but I, you know, I, I as I just kind of think about him playing it, you know, it wasn't like he was picking up hand check fouls when guys are driving on him. Right. Um, it wasn't like he was, um, you know, he, he, he left his feet a couple times on, on jump shooters and, um, kind of fouled that way a lot, but I, or sorry, not a lot sometimes. So I, I mean, I don't really remember him picking up a lot of fouls. Um, like, like, for example, um, I, I can tell you this, talking about playing undersized, um, he committed fouls on 8.3% possession, of possessions when he was guarding post-ups, and that's not actually that high. That's not um, super low, but, I mean, you usually see around, like, 12 to 15%, right. and he's at 8.3, so he fouls less than a lot of other players on post-ups. So even, even about playing undersized, I mean, I, I would have expected to see him commit more fouls there. Um, he... Uh, actually committed a lot of fouls when he was guarding pick and roll ball handlers, which is um, a little bit odd. So I guess that was some, some fouls he would uh, pick up on the perimeter. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I just, again, in my, in my kind of mind's eye, I don't remember, I, I don't remember him picking up a lot of stupid fouls. So I, I don't really in my mind have an association with him um, defending. Sorry, I should say, I actually do remember him picking up a lot of fouls um, going on the offensive glass, which I didn't love, but I mean, at the same time, it's like, I, I love his fight on the offensive glass, and sometimes you're just gonna take some of those fouls. Right. But um. But yeah, I don't. In terms of de- de- like defending, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really see it as a problem either. So um, let's let's get into transition there from Keontae to listener questions, and um, I think let's just start with the Black Shear update that that people want, um, and it's that there isn't really. A significant one. I, I you know, I, his father seems to be handling everything, um, and there's some misdirection in that regard. Uh, but as we kind of expected on the last podcast, Eric, it looks like right now his focus is the draft process, and you know what whispers get out about who's ahead. I know there was a lot of noise about the Calipari visit, but. You know, I mean, it's still pretty much the same schools, Florida, Texas A&M, uh, I, Michigan State, I've heard from people I trust uh, is, is a point of interest now that Cassius Winston's returning. And I think that's pretty obvious why that would be. And then, you know, I guess if Kentucky's going in home, they have to be considered a, a factor. Yeah, I mean, I, he's he's I, I really think that whoever Blackshear, if Blackshear returns, um, I think he's going to be the best center in college basketball, no matter what team he goes to. So for, with that being said, I, I think any team that has a scholarship open is going to get in the mix. So, um, so yeah, it shouldn't be surprising that it's uh, all these teams are in on him. So uh, yeah, I just think that it's going to be wait out until the end of the NBA draft process, at least just to see if um, uh, just to see if he even comes back to college. But I, I mean, I, I do think if he comes back to college, it's going to be o- over a month from today that we really get a decision. Cause I mean, he's, uh, I, it's going to be late, you know, a little less than a month where he's going to be able to yep. withdraw from the draft. And then from there, he's probably going to get into some more official visits and stuff. So, you know, add a few weeks there. So yeah, I, I don't really think there's much, uh, much updating to do now, unless you, um, you know, just want to listen to, to various rumors from, from various people. But um, yeah, I'm just kind of in, in wait and see mode and, and see, uh, see first if he goes pro or not. 
Yeah, and I mean, I was told that the Florida staff will go in home with him, um, but that they're not in a hurry to do it, um, which if that horrifies you, you know, I think it's a little bit of an overreaction <laughs> because they're, <laughs> quite frankly, because they know that he's doing the draft process and his dad says that they want to meet with the Florida staff, which I think is promising, or at least that's what's been reported as his father saying. And, um, you know, I trust the people that have told me that, that Florida will go in home with, with Kerry Blackshear Jr. Uh, should he decide to return to school, maybe even before that. So expect that to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously he would improve the team eventually, which was G boss 904's question. Drew Helmich wants to know if Florida will press more to turn the ball over next year. Um, I would guess yes. Um, based a little bit on, um, yeah, just, uh, uh, on Brady and Scotty Lewis. Um, I think with, uh, with that team, that's hopefully going to be a little more healthy. I think that there will be a, you know, uh, maybe a little bit more depth that allows it to do it. But, uh, I, I do think they press a little bit more. Uh, not, a, I, I would love to see too. And I'm, this is a little bit of just what I'd like to see and not necessarily what, um, what I think will happen, but, um, we obviously saw the, yeah, we saw the three quarter court kind of pressure that, that slowed teams down. But, um, I would uh, I would be interested at in seeing a, a press that does kind of speed the game up and turn the ball over. And there was a few games where Florida did fall behind, and um, they're just so used to playing slow, and that's all that they really did that they weren't able to kind of create more possessions and um, yeah, and kind of give themselves a better chance at coming back. And I would love to see them do it. I mean, like once again, let's let's look at that um, let's look at that Nevada game um, and see what Nevada did. Like they pressed really effectively and created a lot of havoc extra possessions and it allowed them to get back into the game um, quite terrifyingly from a Florida standpoint. That was not fun to watch uh, for Gator fans. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I thought it was just a really, really excellently done press. And I think that that's something that um, Florida should have the athletes for. And it's something that um, uh, we saw from, from white early in his, uh, his time at Florida and obviously Louisiana tech. So uh, that would be something I, I, I do think that we see a little bit from, uh, from Florida a little bit more. Um. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. You got a pretty good answer there, Drew. Um, <laughs> Chuck Taylor wants to handicap Nimhard staying or going. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'm not great at how odds work, but I'll do a percent chance. I think there's a 90% chance that Nimhard's back. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right to me. Um, I know there's a lot of people who think that there's just zero chance of it happening. I just don't agree with that. I think that there's <laughs> definitely a possibility. Um, yeah, and again, it's just, just something that, that I've talked about is um, it, it might not even matter if he here, if, like if he wants to go pro, he's going to go pro. And I don't think it's necessarily going to matter if it's um, if he has a guarantee that he's going to get drafted in it or, or not. So um, right. yeah, I think it's just a little bit up to him, but yeah, I, I do just still look to, um, uh, you know, look to the fact that uh, that kind of white made it known that uh, he came and talked to him about, about being, um, being a leader next year. And I, I mean, that's not like some legally binding, Oh, I'm going to be back a hundred percent. But I, but I mean, I do think it's, um, you know, it shows that he's certainly not a hundred percent that he's going to leave. So um, with that being said, I, I do think he'll stay. And uh, you know, like I, you know, I think he'll be here for one more year and uh, uh, that would be great for the team. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I do, I should add, I, one thing that I think I mentioned last show and I, is that I think Florida has to kind of, look a little bit to what their 2020 board looks like, because I think they can expect Nimhard to be gone after next season. If they, you know, maybe they already anticipated that. Um, and if they did great, 
but it doesn't have to necessarily even be a point guard because we don't really know necessarily. Like Eric and I have an idea of what we think Trey Mann will be, but the staff might have a different idea. Um, and that they brought in Quest Glover, but they'll still need to add a guard um, in 2020. And they were planning on it anyway. Uh, I just think, you know, maybe it opens the door for whether you evaluate a freshman point guard or a grad transfer, but we can, we can burn that bridge when we get there, I guess. Yeah. Start planning our podcast for, uh, for next off season already. That's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rick Denise asked if uh, Florida linebacker five, well, sorry, high four star linebacker D black will ever suit up for Florida in basketball. Black is a, uh, a really good um, basketball player as well. Um, I'll, I'll handle this one because I know Eric doesn't <laughs> dive into the football weeds weeds often. For I'll handle it for Rick. I don't think it's a silly question. Uh, you know, I think anytime you can add an athlete who had scholarship offers and from Division One basketball programs, mostly mid major programs, from what I understand, um, and and some low majors. No real high major offers for Dewan Black, but I mean, does it really matter? It's a Division One caliber player, uh, so I think it's something that Florida could do. And obviously, they wouldn't have to worry about the scholarship limit, and the rosters are allowed to be bigger now. So, uh, you know, I think if Dewan Black wants to play basketball, um, yeah, I don't think this staff would be opposed to that. Billy Donovan was never opposed to it. I mean. Uh... I yeah I I, yeah, I watched a few times and for those who don't know like you know what I'm a, I'm a I'm a big fan of Florida football um, I'm no expert and I'm not an expert on college football or the process so um, that was great that Neil handled it uh, but yeah I definitely did see uh, did see highlights of his uh, kind of his state championship game and I mean like yeah the guy can play and he's physical and he can rebound and yeah um, I, I I think yeah uh, the other, and the other thing too I was thinking I actually thought about this a while ago too is um I mean there was some you know, and I get it. Like there's some, uh, there's some non-conference games on Florida's schedule and they played at home that um, are not super exciting. And for that reason, um, you, you know, the Odom wasn't full, but I mean like, Hey, if blacks playing, like, I think that there would be some people who would be uh, some of the football fans who maybe um, don't always come to basketball games. Um, that'd be pretty intrigued to watch them play. So um, I don't mean, that's not a reason why, like, I mean, I mean, quite frankly, I think that like, in terms of like, it, it's obviously not going to be a, you you know, being, being a walk on or whatever to the basketball team, not taking up a scholarship. Um, I think it's just kind of whether or not um, he wants to play basketball. I'm pretty sure that the staff would want to take him. Um, so I, I, and so obviously I, I mean, I don't think, you know, selling a few tickets should be a, a part of the process, but it would be a nice little, um, uh, a nice part of it if you were to decide to play basketball. So, you know, to answer the question, I'd say, I, I hope he plays. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Well, look, I mean, they beat, they beat Wellington to win the state title. Um, team that my my school scrimmaged um that that was really good especially on defense and had some big dudes and uh you know yeah i mean d1 scored 24 of their points in the second half he also got like a billion rebounds so the fact that you're mentioning that they did have some big guys is uh is pretty interesting yeah no i mean wellington started you know it's it's not terribly i guess it's kind of unusual to start three guys that are six six um and you know that was kind of their front line was like six 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 eight six eight at Wellington. So like, you know they're pretty big. And D one Black is a really elite athlete. But yeah, I mean twenty four second half points and twelve second half rebounds that gives you an idea of the <laughs> half he had. Uh, so yeah, he he obviously can play. Um, so I don't think it's a silly question at all. And uh, 
you know, enjoyed answering it. Uh, you know, it's something, yeah. I mean, if he wants to play at Florida, I think, I think uh, he'll be able to, but he certainly, you know, profiles as a guy who probably would have been a five-star football recruit had he been allowed to play uh, in, in the fall. And, you know, he was worried about academics and he got in and good for him and really hope he can help the Gators on the football field. Um, in terms of uh, that was, that was our listener question segment. Um, so, you know, I sent out the notice a little early and I think people are really just excited to like figure out what happens with this last scholarship spot. Uh, we're going to do recruiting next week. And I think we'll talk Andre Allen, who appears to be the, the bona fide backup plan for Blackshear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, that's just one thing going back, going back to the Blackshear question, even about, um, uh, the fact that, um, like there's a lot of names coming off the board and Florida moved on from, from Trey Wade, who was a player I thought would be really, really helpful for Florida. Um, they moved on for, they, they kind of just let him know they moved on before he had a chance to come visit. And to me, that shows that they are, you know, they definitely have some confidence in, uh, in getting black here because they're, they're, they've moved on from a lot of the other targets that I think could have been really helpful. And, um, yeah, and uh, you know the player Neil mentioned is is pretty much the the only one that, uh, other than Blackshear that Florida's kind of been uh, at least kind of the, the what I've heard in the rumors uh, has really been in on. So um, that's that's probably something that needs to be discussed. Uh, so we'll get into that on next week's show, which there will be a show. Um, Eric and I have a lot of homework to do on on the recruiting weeds, but this is interesting because it's the first weekend for coaches contact. So uh, everybody, stay tuned. Um, and hopefully Eric and myself and Jason Kessler and the types of people that you guys probably all follow will be, uh, on Twitter talking about on the message boards of places talking about who Florida's in to visit. Thanks for listening.